Let's read together from God's Word. Turn with me, please, to the Gospel of Luke. Luke's Gospel and chapter 15. I want us to read from verse number 11 to the end of the chapter. You are, of course, all very familiar with the contents of this particular chapter of Luke's Gospel. It's one of our Lord's parables. And in the chapter, he actually uh, has three parables all about the same theme of lostness. And yet, whilst there are things lost in each setting, the thing that is emphasized is the rejoicing and the joy that comes when that which is lost is found. We're going to read about the parable of the lost son Luke chapter 15 and beginning at verse number 11. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into the far country. And there... He squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hard servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hard servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, and put a ring in his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he told him, your brother's come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. 
it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. We end our reading there at that verse and give thanks to God for his word. So, what do you preach when you go to uh, fill a vacant congregation? It's easy to know what you're going to preach in your own congregation because it's the next passage in the particular book that you're in. Uh, when I was thinking of coming here, I wasn't sure what to preach. There's a story told about uh, a man by the name of Major Whittle. And a few minutes before preaching was meant to start, he was asked to take the service because the preacher hadn't turned up. And he was with his wife and his daughter. It was in Pittsburgh, in the Opera House. A huge crowd had gathered in. And seeking advice from his wife, he said, What shall I say to them? His little daughter, before his wife had a chance to ask, who was well acquainted with the parable of the prodigal son, in fact, they had read it that morning in their morning devotions, turned to her father and said, Father, urge them to come home. And that's what he did. He got up and he preached a sermon on the parable of the prodigal son. And in God's good providence, that preached message was used by God to the bringing of many to faith in Christ. A couple of weeks ago, we had um, an outreach event in the village of Market Hill. And we were looking at uh, coping with various things in life, coping with depression coping with loneliness, coping with anxiety. And another one was coping with a wayward child. And I preached a sermon based on the parable of the prodigal son. But as I was preaching it and going through the last part of the sermon, I, I was struck with the father's reaction to the son's return. And the more I looked at it, the more I realized there's a lot more in this than what I was going to say that evening. And so I decided I would go home and I would work on that part of the parable with a view to bringing it to you this morning. In reading this parable, which all of us know very well, we have to understand that this prodigal son about whom the parable is written is you and me. You and I in our natural state prior to being saved, and even you and I in our regenerate state, when at times, as we do, we wander from God. I want us to think about this parable under this heading this morning. I want us to think about it as the anatomy of forgiving love. The anatomy of forgiving love. The young man, as you know, left home. He resented his father. He resented his father's presence. He resented the authority that was being uh, imposed upon him by his father when he lived at the home. And all he wanted was to get away and enjoy himself in some far country. And he does that. And then he comes to realize that it's not all it's cracked up to be. And he finds himself in desperate, desperate poverty. And in fact, Whilst he sought freedom, he ended up as a slave. 
He decides that he's going to go back to his father. And I wonder, can you imagine that young man as he takes that journey back towards his home? His mind, I'm sure, must have been working overtime as he walked along the road to his father's house. There were bound to have been doubts in his mind as to whether or not his father would have him back again, even as a servant considering how he had acted towards his father and the clear message that his request for the money and his leaving home had given, that he didn't want to be around his father anymore. He wanted to get away from him as far as possible. The reality was that this young man despised his father's love and demonstrated in no uncertain terms his contempt for his authority by leaving home the first opportunity he got. Maybe he thought to himself that his father had been so hurt by his behavior, so disappointed in the lack of respect that he had for him that his father would not take him back again. Perhaps his father would treat him with the same contempt which he had treated the father when he left all those years ago. You can imagine these thoughts going through his mind. He was hoping against hope that his journey back was not in vain. But I'm sure he had probably no assurance in his heart, no peace in his mind as to whether or not his father would forgive him. This part of the parable, the last part of the parable where the son, or the one before last part of the parable where the son is returning And where Jesus focuses on the father's reaction is given to ensure that people are aware that God is always willing to receive the sinner back again. And so we look at this this morning realizing that we are these prodigals. Whether it's the person who has never come to Christ for the first time realizing, as the prodigal did, their desperate condition and wanting to go back to God, or whether it's a true child of God who has gone away, wandered, backslidden, and who wants to come back once again. So as we look at these verses, we want us to see, first of all, in this theme of the anatomy of forgiving love, Notice the father's eyes. The father's eyes. See how Jesus describes the scene as this prodigal nears home. When he was yet a great way off, his father saw him. Now, Jesus could very easily have told this part of the parable in very simple terms. The son returns And as he returns, the father welcomes him back and forgives him. Full stop. But he doesn't do that. He paints a picture. And each part of the picture is important because each part of the picture emphasizes and stresses the willingness of the father to have the son back again. And we see it here in the father's eyes. The picture which these words conjure up in your mind is that of This loving and concerned father who clearly, on a a regular basis, maybe nearly every day, looks in the direction 
in which the sun had gone away, looking in the hope that maybe one day he would see his sun coming over the horizon once again. That was his longing. That was his desire. He was always on the lookout for him to return. Maybe every time he went out into the farmyard to do some job, he looked towards that far distant country in the hope that his son would be coming back. Who knows, maybe in the farmhouse he sat his own seat beside the window so that he could look out in that direction of the far country, hoping and realizing as he's relaxing from his labors that maybe the son would come home today. And when we read his father saw him, even when he was a great way off, it shows us that this father never gave up on his son. He never lost interest in this wayward son. He didn't forget about him and put him down as a completely lost cause. There was always the hope and the possibility that one day his son would come back and he was waiting and watching for him. As I say, Jesus didn't need to put this detail in, but he does. And I'm sure when he saw his son coming over the hill that day, he couldn't believe his eyes. The father's eyes. But then secondly, we see also the father's heart. True, the word heart isn't mentioned, but let's see what Jesus says. This wayward, rebellious son is coming over the hill in the distance. His actions had broken his father's heart. His actions had hurt his father and brought sorrow to him. He had brought shame and disgrace upon the family by his rebellious lifestyle. It's evident that word had got back because his brother is able to say things about the son. So it was obviously shame upon the family. But seeing his son off in the distance, how did this father react? Well, he could have reacted in one of a number of different ways, couldn't he? He could have completely ignored him. He could have just carried on doing what he was doing, demonstrating and making it very clear as the son got closer and closer that the father against whom he had rebelled has no longer any interest in, no longer any love for him. I suppose that that would be, and still is in many cases, the natural human reaction towards someone who has done something to hurt them deeply and to cause them pain and sorrow. That's how we react, isn't it? We don't want anything to do with that person because they've hurt us so much. We turn our backs on them, we ignore them. We avoid their company. And if we can't avoid their company, maybe if we work with them in the same office or go to the same school as them or even attend the same church as them, we act as though they don't exist. Never looking in their direction, never speaking to them. We act as though they were not there because we don't want anything to do with them. Now the father of the prodigal, and we could say with some justification, might have reacted like that. Or 
he could have become very angry at the sight of his son coming back towards his home. And then a storm of rage gone out to his son, confronted him, told him to clear off. How dare you come back to this house after what you've done? You as good as said, I wish you were dead, father, so that I could have my inheritance. You went off and you lived the life of a wastrel, bringing disgrace upon this family. Take yourself off. Don't come back. He might have reacted in anger. But he didn't. He didn't. When the father saw his son coming towards him, he didn't ignore him. He didn't get angry. Because when he was a great way off, his father saw him and he had compassion on him. William Hendrickson, in his commentary on the Gospel of Luke, translates the Greek verb that's translated as compassion on him in this way. His heart went out to him. His heart went out to him. He was deeply moved within himself. A loving sympathy welled up in the heart of this father the moment he saw his son coming towards him. It was his immediate reaction. It wasn't that he had to sort of think about it and stir up this loving affection and concern. It was an attitude, it was a response quite natural because it flowed from a heart full of love for this son, despite the son's rebellious ways. His love for his son had never waned. And as the father lifts his eyes and looks out into the distance and sees his son coming towards him, bearing all the evidence and the scars, so to speak, of his rebellious, sinful and wasteful life that he'd led, his, his skeletal-like frame emaciated through hunger, his clothes worn and tattered, his feet bare and bruised after many days of traveling, the father isn't filled with anger. Nor does he turn his head the other way by way of ignoring him. His heart goes out to him in loving, compassion, deep sympathy and concern. The father's eyes, the father's heart. And then the father's feet. The son is a great way off. But whenever the father sees him coming towards him, he's so filled with love for this son and so moved by the side of that, that rebel coming back again. And in a spirit of clearly very different from that in which he left, the father can't just stand there and wait until his son reaches him. Instead, he's propelled by love in his heart and he begins to move towards his son and he starts to run towards him. Jesus says he ran to his son. Now, that might not seem a big deal to us, but the scene that Jesus depicts here when he speaks of the father who was probably advanced in years running to meet his son, that would have been startling to the people to whom Jesus was speaking. It would have meant much more to Jesus' original hearers than it means to us today. You see, in 
Eastern culture, it was regarded as wholly undignified for an elderly man to run. Elderly men just didn't run. I'm glad it's not like that in our culture. (laughs) So when Jesus says that the father ran to meet his son, his audience would have gone, what? They might have gasped. They would have looked at each other. This isn't normal. But that's the point. That's the point. It's not normal. And it's a further stress upon the love and the joy that filled the father's heart when he saw his son coming home. And it's pointing out just how keen and how eager the father is to welcome him back. He sets aside what he knows to be acceptable cultural practice. It's undignified for elderly men to run so you don't do it. Depart with that. And he sets off as fast as he can in the direction of the son whom he loved. And he never thought for one minute about what people would think of this old man running. Didn't matter to him. At that moment in time, he couldn't care less about prevailing cultural attitudes. All he was interested in was getting his son back as quick as he could so that he could embrace him and welcome him home. He was so keen to reach his son and welcome him that he forgot about and even had, if he'd remembered, he would have ignored what under other circumstances would have been regarded as proper conduct. The father's eyes the father's heart, the father's feet. They're all telling a story. Fourthly, the father's arms. The ESV has, and he embraced him. The King James Version has, he fell upon his neck. The NIV translates it, he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him. The father, when he reaches his son, He throws his arms around his neck and in a tight embrace he holds him close to himself and he welcomes him home again. That tight embrace is a demonstration of love and affection for another individual. We all know what it's like. What encouragement, what comfort, what hope that embrace must have given to this young man. I'm sure he came with fears. I'm sure he came with doubts. But those arms around him, his fears about whether or not his father would have him back, whether his father still loved him, I'm sure they disappeared the moment he felt his arms, he felt himself being embraced so tightly in his father's arms. We all know what it's like to experience a warm, loving embrace from someone near and dear to us. It speaks volumes. It says they care about us. It says they love us. We mean something to them. We feel wanted. And that's exactly how the prodigal must have felt. That embrace must have spoken volumes to him concerning his father's love for him and his willingness to have him back. His eyes, his heart, his feet, 
his arms. What about his lips? The father's lips. Not only did the father throw his arms around him when he reached him, we read he also kissed him. And the form of the Greek verb there that he uses in the original means he smothered him with kisses. He kissed him and kissed him and kissed him. He didn't go up to him and shake his hands. All right, son, good to see you back again. His heart was full of love for this child of his. And each of those kisses the son received were tokens of the genuineness of the depth of the father's love. They were also assurances to the son that as far as the father was concerned, the past rebellion had been forgiven and forgotten. And the two of them were now reconciled to each other again. You see, in the Bible, the kiss in Scripture is very often a sign of reconciliation and peace between two parties whose relationship had been broken down. You recall David and how he welcomed Absalom, his son, back again to the royal palace after five years of exile following Absalom's murder of David's son Ammon. A murder which saw David's relationship with Absalom. David expresses his forgiveness to Absalom and his reconciliation with his son with a kiss. When he called for Absalom, he came to the king and bowed down himself on his face to the ground before the king and the king kissed Absalom. The kiss is a sign of forgiveness and a sign of reconciliation. You get the same thing in Genesis 45 where Joseph, having made known to his brothers who he was and having forgiven them of their sins, we read he kissed all his brothers. By that kiss, Joseph was assuring his brothers that they had been forgiven for what they had done in the past. And the prodigal is smothered in kisses. The father wants him to know all his rebellion has been forgiven. The father's eyes, the father's heart, the father's feet, the father's arms, the father's lips. And then lastly, the father's voice. Held in those loving arms of his father, the son begins to speak. And no doubt he had gone over these words time and again in his head as he walked along the road back towards his family home. And in a storm of emotion, probably, I would imagine, with tears running down his eyes, and maybe even with a stammering tongue, the son says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no more worthy to be called your son. And having got thus far in his speech, he gets no further, even though he intended to say more, he gets no further. Why? Well, some commentators think that he didn't utter those words about not being worthy to be a son and to be a servant because in the warm embrace of his father, the father who even now was kissing him, he felt and he knew himself to be a son. Other commentators think that having got to the point where he had confessed that he was no longer worthy to be a son, 
that he was interrupted at that point by his father who then spoke and unfolded in those arms as the father speaks. He doesn't get those words out. He's fully restored to his position, to his rights and privileges of sonship. And then the father speaks. The father's voice is heard. And with a clear authoritative voice, and yet with tenderness and love and joy, he cries out, quick, bring the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring in his hand, shoes in his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this, my son, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. In a loving embrace, the father has welcomed the prodigal back. With tender kisses, he's demonstrated his forgiveness and given him evident signs of reconciliation. But just in case the son should have any doubts as to where he now stands in relation to his father, unless anybody else in the household or in the neighborhood should have any doubts, the father publicly owns him as his son. This my son. And then he gives him tokens of sonship. The best robe brought out and given to him. The robe that was kept for special guests as a sign of being highly honoured. A ring is placed on his finger. Probably the family signet ring that identifies him as one of the family. Shoes are placed upon his feet. Why? Well, he's not a servant. A servant runs about barefoot. The sons have proper shoes. All these the father commands to be given to this prodigal. And as he does so, the young man and everyone else is in no doubt whatsoever as to this son's status. He's welcomed as a son of the father. And his return is a cause for great rejoicing. They have a party. They celebrate. The father is thrilled the bits that his son is back again. The anatomy of forgiving love. Jesus is saying, This is a picture of God's love for the sinner who returns. I don't know you as a congregation well enough. I imagine that you're probably a lot like most of our congregations, a mixed bunch. Many of you probably saved. Some of you maybe not saved. Some of you younger folk. Some of you teenagers. And some of you older folk, maybe. If you're not saved, you're the prodigal in the far country. And the Father wants you to turn back. If 
may be that the circumstances in your life at this point in time have made you think deeply about these things. Maybe you've wondered, should I become a Christian? But would God have me? Maybe you think about the things you get up to that nobody else knows about. Secret sins, sins you keep hidden from your parents, sins you keep hidden from people in your family. Would God honestly receive me? How can you doubt it with this part of the parable? That's what it's meant to emphasize. The desire that God has for and the willingness that he has to receive back those who genuinely turn back to him again. The road that the son in this parable had to take was a road that led back to God. And the only way back to God for the sinner is through Christ. Didn't he say, I, I am the way? No man cometh unto the Father except through me? And what of those of us who are Christians? Some of us know what it is to wander from God. Some of us wander, maybe not too far, but enough to be further away than we should be. We're still a son or a daughter, but our relationship with the Father isn't what it should be. Others wander pretty far away. And there's times when you would wonder, are they a child of God at all? When you see the way they're living, giving themselves over to the pleasures of this world. And God is saying to us, come back. I'll receive you back. It doesn't matter what you've done. And there's a longing and there's a desire in God for us to be brought back again into that relationship with him that has been broken as a result of our sin. And maybe God is saying to some of you this morning, it's about time you didn't about turn. And you came back along that path that you've started to go along. There was great rejoicing. Of course, I haven't time to go into it today, but the elder son didn't rejoice. He was angry that this wastrel was being welcomed back with such joy. He hadn't gone, gone and done the things that his brother had done. There was no joy in his heart that this prodigal had come back. And you know, we can be like that. We can hear of people who a number of years ago were Christians, really involved in the life of the church, and something happens and they go AWOL. They turn their back on Christianity, they get involved in all sorts of things. But then by God's grace, they come to themselves as the prodigal did. And by God's grace, they're brought back again. And the elder brothers and the elder sisters in the congregation despise them. They think after all they've done, they can just come back and be part of the church again. And God says, yes. Not only that, 
I'm absolutely thrilled that they're back again. Jesus could have said, and the son returned home, and the father welcomed him. But he says a lot more when he gives us the anatomy of forgiving love. May God bless his word to our hearts this morning. Amen.